A man become preeminent, he's expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. <laughs> Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the Pool Hitter Podcast, episode number 39. Thank you for tuning in once again. Can't appreciate you listeners enough. You guys have been supporting the show to a degree that I couldn't imagine when I started this, so much appreciated. Thank you guys so much. Um, Tonight, I sat down with Vlad Sedler at RotoGut on Twitter. The Roto Gut himself, the Fab Whisperer. Uh, Vlad has amazing stuff out there on fantasyguru.com and elitefantasy.com. Um, for DFS, it's elitefantasy.com, and the year round stuff is for, at fantasyguru.com. Vlad is awesome. He has a lengthy history in this industry, comes from Baseball HQ and Rotowire and now doing his own thing. Um, really good. Really amazing content that he provides for everyone. And he's very successful across various formats and different type of games. So it was awesome to get to sit down, pick his brain about how he approaches certain league formats in the NFBC. And his game theory, you know, his player evaluations and stuff like that. So... As you guys know, it's a common theme here, trying to get into successful players' brains and seeing how we can better ourselves, right? Because that's the ultimate, the ultimate route is we want to become better fantasy players. So, um, had a great discussion with him tonight, and Vlad's just been great from the start. When I started in the industry, he's always been approachable, um, very accessible, and always been kind with his responses to me and very helpful. So, um, this was really cool getting Vlad on the show to talk about whole bunch of things and so yeah we'll get into that um again it's about the time you know to start getting into some draft guys and um guys and girls and start you know start start making some key decision points start indexing picks and start indexing the way draft boards flow it's basically the equivalent of taking batting practice before the game you know, this this is part of the warming up, part of what we need to do to sharpen our axe before we get into, you know, maybe drafts that are closer to the season that maybe have a little more at stake for you. So definitely recommend doing that. Um, hope you guys are digging into publications like the Baseball Forecaster and The Process and Justin Mason's Draft Guide. And the SP Streamer Draft Guide. I hope you guys get on that. Um, if you haven't yet, go over to spstreamer.com. Join a wonderful Discord community there. Um, Michael Mione is really 
building something special there. So um, feel good to be a part of it. And you guys can check out a great new draft guide that um, the wonderful people provided into that. So that being said, let's get into the episode. And um, before we do that, thank you for listening again. And if you haven't done so on Apple Podcast. Um, if you could leave a review for the show or a rating, that's wonderful. It helps a bunch, and it's much appreciated. And if you take a picture, you screen, screenshot your rating or review and send it over to me on DM at Twitter, at Deadpool Hitter, and I'll send you some swag. I got some stickers, some fridge magnets, and I'll send you some baseball cards too. Um, Want to see the pole hitter swag flooding Twitter. All right, here we go. Right into the episode of Flat Taylor. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Welcome, folks, to the Pull Hitter Podcast. Tonight, my guest is Mr. Vlad Sedler, the Roto Gut himself. How you doing tonight, Vlad? Hey, what's up, Rob? Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm 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 excited to be on uh, what is to me the hottest podcast of uh, of the winter. Woo! Oh, wow, that's. My God, my head is swelling right now, Vlad. Thank you so much. <laughs> I no, appreciate for, that. For real, man. Uh, you know, the, the, the quality of guests that you've been having on is on, uh, that you've been having on has been fantastic. And uh, the content is great. You know, for me, I love you know, NFBC related things. I love draft strategies. So, you know, that's why uh, I really enjoy it and very happy to be on. Cool, man. Appreciate you taking the time out. I know you're a busy guy. You're all over the place. I remember when I first got into like checking out you know, um, the Twitter world content, you were pretty much everywhere. I've, you know, like everyone I started to follow, everyone followed you. And I know we got to talking a while back and you gave me a ton of good advice. Um, I haven't taken you up on that DFS advice yet because I just can't do it. But um, everything else, you know, your fab article is amazing. Uh, you're doing a whole bunch of good work there at um, fantasyguru.com, right? And, and elitefantasy.com, right? Yeah, yeah. So Fantasy Gurus, the, uh, the the season long site. That's where the Fab column is. All my preseason uh, stuff for baseball, and then uh, Elite D, uh, Elite Fantasy is uh, the DFS site. Yeah, sweet. A lot of good content there. You guys got a stable of uh, of people there just pumping stuff out. Um, so, how did you get into this whole baseball world and playing fantasy and getting into the content world? Is this something you knew you wanted to do, like when you were playing fantasy, or just tell me like how about that journey you took? Uh, well, I mean, I, I've always been obsessed with, uh, with, with baseball, with uh, statistics, with numbers. Uh, back in, uh, I mean, junior high school, I would take the, uh, the LA Times and check the box scores. And I had this like on my desk, the glass table thing. And I would, you know, I'm kind of OCD. So I would keep like lists of <laughs> like my, you know, top 20 favorite players. And I would change that list, you know, every week. Uh, same thing with like the leading scores uh, in hockey and same thing with baseball, like home run leaders, just like always kind of updating and that type right. of thing. And was into baseball cards, memorizing the back of all the cards. And uh, uh, I guess in high school, it was like uh, the mid nineties. Uh, I joined my first league, like a, like a public Yahoo 
Uh, first one was a hockey league. The next year I did baseball. And uh, my first year playing baseball, I, I won that league. And then uh, in college, fast forward a few years, one of my friends at the time, Steve Zachs, he was playing this thing called the Diamond Challenge. Diamond mm -hmm. Challenge is now part of uh, the NB NFBC family. And uh, back then in the early 2000s, they, were, they had ads in the USA Today and there were up to 25, 30,000 people playing. So it was the first type of contest with an overall component to it, like NFBC has now. Right. And uh, that first year playing with Steve, I don't know, we just ended up having a really good connection. We got lucky with uh, picking up uh, Johan Santana when kind of nobody else did in his breakout year. And we ended up fourth uh, out wow. of, I think it was like 12,000 people or something like that. Uh, and so it was like, you know, it was low uh, five figures, but for, you know, poor college student, it's a lot of money. So right. uh, yeah. that's how we started, um, you know, from there a few years, fast forward a few years in uh, you know, 2007, 2008, uh, a lot of people that I had met on that diamond challenge uh, message board, this thing called the BBS is this like upside down message board. And, uh, you know, uh, Scott Jenstad, uh, Lindy Hinkleman, some of the best players in, in the business who started playing NBC, they got me into that. So then I started playing NFBC, doing better there, just keep stacking and uh, started going to live events, met people in the industry, uh, got my first gig uh, with, uh, with Baseball HQ through, uh, through Ron Chandler. Uh, and then uh, from there, Rotowire uh, with Jeff Erickson, Chris Liss, Derek Van Riper, and those guys gave me a chance. Um, and, uh, and then from there, just been, been full-time for the last five years with, uh, with Elite. So that's kind of my story. That's a, that's an awesome journey, man. That's a real awesome journey. And then like, it's, it's so wild because there's, there's so many good con there's so much good content out there and it's, it's pretty cool to see, you know, when I first started um, really getting into it, seeing people who started about a year ago, you know, transcending so well, like getting, getting better and better and doing their thing and getting more jobs and job opportunities. So it's, it's pretty cool. It's a great industry for that. And you pretty, I mean, you took a great ride right there. I mean, I'm on all those, uh, all those sites, Rotowire HQ. So that's, that's awesome, man. That when you first like, um, started to get involved with people in the business, was it like a big wow for you at first or you kind of just, you know, got into a good flow of like not being, I guess, afraid to do your thing and like write about what you like to write about. I mean, yeah, it was tough. Uh, the good thing is, is, is meeting a lot of people in kind of like an, in, in uh, an informal setting, like at NFBC right. live main events uh, was, was cool because, you know, it wasn't really any pressure. I, I remember the first, um, you know, yeah, I was for me, like, you know, I grew up in LA and, you know, you, you kind of just run into celebrities. And so you get used to that. You're not really starstruck. So for me, like 10 years ago, when I started, like, you know, these people, like, you know, uh, I, you know, the, I was a little starstruck with, you know, with these people, like, man, these are like the God, you know, Todd Zola, <laughs> you know, Godfather in the industry. And yeah. uh, so it was like, cool, you know, talking to them, um, you know, the, the late uh, Lar Michaels, who, um, you know, was just a, a fantastic person, uh, writer, just like a kind of founding father of the industry. So being around all these people was great. I learned a lot. I soaked in a lot, uh, soaked in a lot. And one of the things I learned is just to like, realize that no matter how good you're doing in um, you know how much recognition you're getting with your content or how well you're doing in uh, in fantasy baseball there's always so much more to learn and that's what I'm doing right now with you know all these people that are that, that have been coming out lately you know yourself included like I'm not gonna ever be too proud to be like 
I can't learn something, you know, right. uh, and all the you know, advanced metrics. We're, we're all just constantly learning. So for me, it was, uh, it's just been, you know, it's been a fabulous ride. And just knowing that there's, there's always something else that, that um, I can learn from somebody. Right. Absolutely. I think that's such a great point, man. I, I feel like, um, you know, positive encouragement too goes along like a real long way as long with like being you know like uh hearing some critics but um you know when you see people doing well and you want to reach out to them and just give them like a good pat on the back you know and i think it goes a long way i had you know people do that when i started and i just feel like it gave me such a you know like a big boost mentally you know especially us men like yancy eaton likes to say men men are not good at complimenting each other (laughs) yeah and i've never i never had a problem with that i think i've always done that at least you know last few years like i see somebody good i'll just reach out out of the blue and and let them know hey man this is some this is some good stuff you know like yeah tweeting people that i hadn't heard of before but like you know i read somebody's uh, our guy's article on picture list. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty good. I got to, you know, kind of share it, uh, share it with the world. And so, you know, I'm not afraid, really not afraid to do, do that. And, you know, sometimes you got people in the industry, maybe not as much in baseball, but maybe like on football or other side where, you know, you know, sometimes people get a little too big for their britches and you got to remember, man, like we're not celebrities. We're, we're, right. you know, we're, we're fantasy analysts. We're, we're all just human. And it's really easy to kind of be, you know, whoever you want uh, on Twitter. But then what's great is when we all meet up at things. And that's why the fantasy baseball community is so great. Like we're just, you know, we just all remember that we're friends, we're human. We all share the same interest and and it's fantastic. And that's why I can't wait for all this madness, this COVID, you know, shit to be over. I know. So we can just get back, you know, first pitch Arizona, you know, we'd love to to, to meet you in person. We can play games together. It's just, it's going to be fun. Yeah, man, absolutely. That's such a great point. I, I really can't wait for all that to go away because it's, uh, it's. I really want. It. I missed it in November last November, and um, then everything happened. I'm like, man, like if I would have just got to that one, but it's yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, so, tell me how you became the Fab Whisperer. That- <laughs> I mean, you, you know, it's funny. I mean, I put that on my profile, but I just, I mean, someone's like, oh, you know, they called you the fabrics. I'm like, actually, I just kind of just thought it was funny. I just put it in yeah, my, yeah. myself. Um, I don't know. I just, it, I've always felt that that is the way to get a big edge on, uh, on your competition. I feel like fantasy baseball, 162 game, 26 week grind is, uh, it, it, it's not really one at the draft. The draft is a good start, uh, but uh, people that, underestimate the, uh, the, the the opportunity that you have to really differentiate yourself from people in your league uh, and rise towards the top is done through the the in-season grinding. Like you can literally uh, correct bad mistakes that you make on your, in your drafts by just having good timing, getting lucky, of course, and uh, just, you know, out hustling people during the season. So for me, that's always been something that I've, uh, I've really focused on and, and the good thing is that the weekly fab article I do on fantasy guru, it, it helps me with my own fab, you know, because right, I start right. writing this midweek or, you know, start thinking and putting things together. Uh, by the time Sunday rolls around, I got to put all my bids in. Uh, I, it's already kind of second nature for me. The tough part from there is right. of course, people in your league, seeing your same work and you got to out- outbid people, you know, in that regard. But uh, you know, Hey, it is what it is. Be an open book and try to beat them with even with what they know. I know. And you know what, though, what's what's great about your articles, like what's actionable to me is that you teach process. So even even, you know, I'm not going there to like look at 
players per se, you, you know, you lay out a good way to understand like how to find good guys, you know, in the next week. And so I think that's so much more actionable than always just recommending just the players because you could take that process and use it, you know, and develop something like that too. And like you said, you got to hustle what you get, what you put into it. Right. You know, that's pretty much it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, same thing like in DFS, like the people that if you're just looking to just get picks, you know, give me the plays, who's going to, you know, who's going to score the most points, you're not <laughs> going to improve. Yeah. You're going to end up right. being a negative EV player over, over the long run. Same thing, like a fab article that just has a list of players isn't doesn't have any context. It's not going to be able to help you to make the right decision and or help make you a better player. Right. Right. And um, do, do you have like uh, a, like a must like a must thing to do? Like if you're really trying to improve a fad game, like what's your go-to advice? Like besides the, like put, put the time in, like yeah. you feel like there's one little tip that like gives you the best edge. Uh, I mean, I think there's a lot. I think um, you, you, I think one of the important things is to sort of look ahead um, mm-hmm. to, to, to future weeks. You know, it's right. not just about bidding for this week. And, you know, a lot of us that are playing in NFPC, like you notice, people are catching on to the same trends. It's not, you know, like a, a team going to course for a four game series next week, you know, everybody's going to be bidding on them, but what does the schedule for that team look, you know, look like the next week and how much should I be spending on that person? Is it really worth my while? Uh, so I think that's one thing. I think another important thing is to be careful of uh, players that are just kind of um, uh, may appear too good to be true, where you're kind of buying in on a big week, uh, you know, week one starts and, uh, Dexter Fowler just goes nuts with the angels in this first week and it's three homers <laughs> and seven or, you know, seven ribbies. And you just think like, Oh man, this is great. I mean, you're going to see people bidding like $200, but seasoned players, sage players are going to be like, wait a second here. This clearly isn't sustainable. Um, I'm going to set my attention to other players and uh, yeah, I throw them in for, you know, three bucks conditional, but it's not like all of a sudden Hayward's like this new guy, you know? Right. Right. And you said three and seven, that sounds like a toughy roads line. <laughs> against the Mets back in the day, right? Cubs, I think. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, so I know I had a question for you later, but I might as well ask you now. Um, t- tell me how you determine when a guy is like a rest of season mm-hmm. type of player. And is it something you look at? Uh, like, do you try to project the stats for the rest of the season and see if it's worth it versus just your annual, like a, like a stream attempt? Or mm-hmm. like, how do you determine that? It's tough. I think sometimes we, uh, we, we get lucky. We pick somebody up as a streamer for the week and they end up being like a staple in our rotation, or we just believe a little bit, you know, and think about beginning of 2019, uh, Lucas Giolito, he was, uh, he was fab material in some leagues, like people just weren't touching him. And uh, we knew he had a fantastic pedigree, uh, but he had just come off an absolutely horrendous season. He was bad with Arizona before that, but Hey, I mean, he was a former first round pick and uh, throws heat and supposed to be really good. And, and people that bought in early on those first couple starts and realized it wasn't really fool's gold and he fixed some stuff and ended up paying monster dividends to people. Um, and then for hitters, for me, it comes down to like, you know, we all have a, an opinion on uh, opinions on certain players as is going into the draft. And so maybe it's like correcting a mistake that we made, like maybe we missed this guy and somebody dropped them and now we're picking them up. Uh, but for the most part, it comes down to like, uh, team context, right? Like if, if, if somebody's stepping in and he's like a hitter moving up the lineup, like, you know, he was a hitting seventh at first, all of a sudden he's sitting fifth in the lineup and um, he's, you know, somebody in his position that he took over 
is out long term on the IL. And, you know, you just kind of know that this person uh, has something that's worth investing in. And especially if it's on a team that rakes, right? Like, you know, it, it's, you know, uh, Song Kim, for example, like we don't know uh, how good or bad he might be, how the transition is going to be for him. But I mean, who the heck knows? Maybe he ends up being like, you know, the, the leadoff man and just like a, just an absolute linchpin for lineups and he's just a badass. And so, you know, that would be, you know, it'd be a good thing. It's different than like if Anthony Alford on, you know, Pittsburgh, all of a sudden right. gets the leadoff job, you know, the, on a crappy team, like, yeah, you never know and could steal a few bases, but you know, it, it really does come down to context and, and team context and, and not only team context, but in terms of like your roster and what kind right. of fit they are in your roster. Right. Absolutely. The, the, the one thing that I struggle with is the like, so if you're playing a 12 team league and 15 team league, which fab do you attempt first on, like, uh-huh. when the weekend comes up or whenever you start a price up? Uh, Cause I feel like I go into the 12s and I'm like, I want everybody available because yeah. <laughs> you don't see them on the 15 list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I usually, st- I start with the 15s just because it's a, it's a deeper pool. It's kind of my, my more important teams and I have less of them. And I feel like it sets a base for me so that when I'm looking at, the 12 team uh, 12 team bids, they come become a little easier and a little mm-hmm. bit more automatic. I think on the 12 teamers, the harder decision sometimes uh, more so than who to add is you know, who to drop because you're talking about a player pool of uh, 360 uh, as opposed to 450 in a 15 teamer. Right. And so there's just always something good in, on the free agent wire. And it's a matter of like how much of a difference maker is this person going to be on my team and is he worth it over whoever I'm dropping. So it's always a tough decision, but uh, for me, I usually start with the 15s. Cool. Awesome. That's some uh, good, solid advice right there. So before we get into some NFBC formats, um, I have some surprise questions for you that I didn't, I didn't let you know about. And it's just random. The first thing actually though, that I want to talk about is uh, Pavel Bure. Um, Yeah. Because I know you have history with him and I want to share a funny story about Pavel Bure. Um, <laughs> that I experienced. It's not, it doesn't involve him, but it involves going to the baseball fan fest in 94 in Baltimore with my brothers. And we're walking around at the, like at the market and uh, you know, there's all stand and memorabilia. And what do we do? Like my brothers bought a Pavel, a signed Pavel Burry stick. Mm-hmm. And we're walking around Camden Yard with this hockey stick. And I never <laughs> get that story. And like, but um, yeah, I mean, I remember in on Sega on NHL, he was just like dynamite. Yeah. It was it was easy just to score like eight goals a game with him. <laughs> but yeah, so tell me about your Pavel Burry story. Oh man, uh, I mean, there, it's a lot of stories, really. But w- what it came down to is just I've just I feel really lucky in this regard, kind of like just right place, right time. But um. You know, I'm Russian American. I came to the States uh, when I was two months old. Parents immigrated from uh, from Moscow. And, uh, you know, my dad, um, you know, he got his uh, degree or his uh, his dental license in, in Russia when he was young. But then obviously, when you come to the US, you got to do that all over again. So, you know, whatever. He's a, uh, all Russians in the LA community kind of know each other. And uh, um, I just remember one day I was 14. I was at my friend's house and my mom called me. She's like, uh, you, you may want to come over. There, there's somebody at the house who, who you might like. And I'm sitting there literally like trading uh, hockey cards with my, with my neighbor, my friend. And she's like, yeah, bring your, bring your friend too. So I come to the house and yeah, it's, it's Pavel Bure, his girlfriend, uh, Anatoly Semenov, who just, uh, just came over from Russia to play for the Ducks in the Ducks first year. I think it was, I think it was 93. 
uh, or whatever, I mean, sometime yeah, around there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, and, and Russians, you know, they, they like to do it up, like, you know, drink lots of vodka and, and <laughs> eat barbecue, you know, uh, you know, shish kebab and that kind of stuff. And so, uh, play loud music. And so it, you know, my dad was, became kind of like the dentist for a lot of the Russian players when they would come to LA and most Russian players in the NHL would, would spend their summers in LA. They'd go rollerblading on Venice beach and go down to San Diego and La Jolla and hang out. And one of the stops just ended up being my house. Uh, and, uh, so it was cool. So these, you know, these throughout my youth as a teenager, these, you know, fantastic, you know, awesome hockey players would run through, uh, the <laughs> one cool story that's not actually Burry related, but, uh, there was a, a Mighty Ducks draft pick. Um, the, it was the first defenseman taken that year. His name is Oleg Tverdovsky, and he was uh, drafted by the Ducks. He was like the yeah. third overall pick. So I was like 15. You know, I played youth hockey, and uh, um, one day, whatever, he's over at our house, and he like he wanted to skate. So uh, he was just drafted. He, he was like I think 18, and you know looked like us except for like when he took his shirt off. You know, dude was like ripped, built, like looks like a hockey player. Mm -hmm. uh, so I brought him to my practice. So my friends are like 15, 16, you know, some people had their growth spurts, some haven't. And, uh, you know, he comes to the locker room, sits with us. They're like, oh, one of Vlad's Russian friends, like from Russia. And they didn't recognize him. <laughs> and then he steps on the ice and just starts shredding like ice, like flying everywhere, just like skating circles around everyone, like hundred you know, mile per hour slap shots. And these guys are going nuts. Like, oh my God, that's Tverdovsky. So that was just a, like a fun story to share. That's an awesome story, man. Oh man, that's great. Yeah, I... Those are like my 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 NHL heroes on on Sega. I, I used to love that whole that I love that whole that whole era of hockey. It was great. Um, I was a big uh, even though I lived in New York, I was a big Red Wing fan because I loved you know I love Sergei. He was just like awesome to watch, you know, and he was just great to play with in the game too. So that was my biggest hockey. Uh, you know, I haven't gotten back into it in a long time. You know, it's funny, uh, Burry and Fedorov, because they kind of came in the States around the same time and they were they were big rivals in uh, in Russia. And it was the same thing, uh, you know, here. So as soon as they came here, like they were always like Burry was always like kind of throwing, you know, digs at him or whatever. It was, right. uh, it was pretty funny. He didn't like it too much. But uh, <laughs> oh, the other crazy thing is, Burry, you know, he smoked cigarettes literally during the heyday of his career. Like he smoked parliaments. Like I remember wow. one time, yeah, because his his dad is a former Olympic swimmer, uh, like I think bronze medalist in like the seventy two Olympics, and he was all he ended up being like the New Jersey Devils, uh, one of their like trainers or coaches. He was a real hard ass, and he's the one that trained Pavel and his brother Valeri Bure, uh, you know, to become who they are, like just really you know tough badass uh, players. And I remember one time I was driving with my dad. I'm sorry, I was driving with Bure in one car. He was driving. I was still fifteen. I couldn't drive yet. And my dad was driving with his dad, um, you know, car ahead. Pavel Burry made me pull off. Uh, and this is, he signed a $5 million contract. He's like, you know, 22 or whatever, can do whatever he wants. And he says, pull off the freeway. He stops just to smoke a cigarette. So his dad wouldn't see. And then we went back, you know, you know, kind of like took a breath mint, whatever, you know, just so we can get, just crazy, man. Wow. That's wild, man. I always wondered about that because, you know, you see like the pictures of the like the old timer guys, like they're just smoking bogues everywhere. But I always wondered like like which elite athletes, if any, you know, smoke. Like, you know, because you I don't know, you think like there wouldn't be much, but you know, that's crazy that he was <laughs> just Russians just like cigarettes and vodka, basically. So I think that's what it was. It's just old habits are are hard to break. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, um, me and my wife go to the um, the Russian bathhouse here by nice. us in Jersey. Um, so the and our first experience was, you know, we were like, wow, this this is you know everyone's getting down like yeah, oh, yeah. they were pounding vodka and then going in the steam rooms and the uh-huh. and the saunas and I was like I. Can't, <laughs> no way i can do that right now. yeah i'm a bad russian i can't hang with them <laughs> um so another question i had is random it just popped in my head like right before we got on um you, you know how we say woba right mm-hmm. why don't we say oba <laughs> for on base well weighted on base yeah average why don't we say uh no, because, I mean, for on base, everyone just says on base or OBP. Right? Oh, oh, why don't we say OBA? I don't know, OBA. but we could start it. Why not? You want to start it? Okay, yeah. cool. All OBA. right. <laughs> OBA. Um, my other question was, it sucks now because of the shortened season that players won't have a chance to, like, extend streaks, per se. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, eight straight years with 30, you know, 30 homers. Do you think that's something that should still continue? Like, if someone had a streak? Uh, yeah, I guess it would be tough to kind of, you know, formulate because yeah, of that season. Yeah. And then you, and then it just kind of goes down the Pandora's box of like, you know, did that season count or like, you know, yeah, I mean, it, I hadn't thought about that, but that's a really good point. It just kind of breaks streaks up. Yeah, it breaks, it breaks a lot of shit up, man. Um, yeah. It's not cool. So yeah. NFBC, um, they have a plethora of game formats there. Um, so you pulled off like a grand slam of sorts last year with a win in the online championship draft champions, main event and the cut line. So I wanted to know what is your favorite, favorite format of these? Uh, so my favorites, um, is, is the 15 teamer just because that's the, that's the, the Holy grail, the main event. And, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to win a main event overall. Um, the one that I'm, uh, excuse me, best at is uh, the online championship. That's uh, the 12 team format. And there's just something about it. It's uh, a lot of it has to do with the, it's so addicting to draft these. Like I go into every preseason, like I'm not going to do my first one to like mid February because the Pringles, literally once you pop, you can't stop. And it's not (laughs) not cheap either. So, you know, usually, you know, try to use winnings from, from the previous year. But um, what the problem is you end up drafting too many of those and you have a lot of teams to manage in season and you don't want to sell yourself short. You don't want to you know, stress yourself out by having to fab, um, you know, way too much. And, and it's not like everything's transferable, right? Cause every team has a different situation here. You need to put a few books more in this guy. And uh, because you have this much uh, fab remaining or here, you need to put more focus on starting pitching on this team. We've got four relievers. You don't need a reliever here. We need one there. So there's a lot to think about. It gets you know crazy when you have too many teams. So that's one thing that I, always recommend is you know drafting is fun if you want to just draft a bunch just do you know draft champions jump into mocks do you know nfbc 50s but um you know just just don't bite off more you can chew uh, as far as fab is concerned yeah i totally agree with that and and last year i think i even had a good a good amount um that i was comfortable with so i'm trying to keep it exactly like that but i'm definitely wanting to do more you know draft champions or um best balls and stuff like you, that so let's talk you, about you the, by the way uh, i'm sorry you have a a, a title to defend anyways in the draft yeah, a title to defend yeah uh, what if you go back to back man maybe something yeah uh what's the possibilities of that right i mean hey, you <laughs> never know you never know i know i'm uh 
And you know what? It's crazy, Vlad. Like, uh, I'm a big Kobe guy. Um, and I got the Mamba mentality book, and I probably talk about it too much. But, like, the moment I won, I, I went back to um, a story he told, like, of during the finals when they won. Instead of going to celebrate, he wanted to go shoot free throws because he mm -hmm. shot seven, seven for 12 at the line that night. Like, and like, I felt like when the moment came that it was over, I was, I was like, that's what I was thinking. Because like you mm -hmm. said, like um, early in the show, like, you know, you just got to remember that, you know, you're, you're going to be good sometimes, going to be bad. You got to keep yourself humble. You got to keep trying to get better. Like, and that's the yeah. whole, that's the whole thing. Just trying to get better. Yeah. And I mean, just same thing as uh, athletes and people that play sports. I mean, fantasy is the same thing. Um, you know, people remember what, what what's recent. You're really only as good as right. your, as your most recent results. And then also the problem is some people, you know, you, you have an amazing season and then you, you get really cocky and you get, you could even get a little lazy. You're like, ah, I'm, you know, kind of natural at this and then just, you know, uh, completely regress. And so that's cool, man. I, I that is something that I, I really respect. And all that does is remind me that, man, I got to keep grinding too, because I have all <laughs> these, you know, sharp, uh, you know, guys and gals that are, out there uh, that I'm competing against. And I mean, and we see it, right? Like when we, when we're jumping into these drafts now in uh, January, February, like it is, like, we're not getting our guys. A lot of times people are just, you know, everybody's so sharp. Everyone's on it. And honestly, like the competition, the level of competition in NFBC has gotten tougher than ever these days. Right. Yeah. It's been, it's been very sharp. Um, every, every draft I've been involved in really, really impressive. Like, um, like I don't really have history, to go back and you know but i could just tell that um people are doing it due, due diligence and like absorbing content there's so mm -hmm. and that's the thing everyone's inspiring and motivating everybody else to be better uh so it's cool it's a great great community so so happy to be involved um so tell me all right so let's go back to the online championship 12 team leagues right um you have a 30-man roster um mm -hmm. so Walk me through like your first 10 rounds. Do you have like a strategy in terms of like, you know, hitters, pitchers and starters and relievers, or do you just kind of like flow draft or have like a, like a loose plan, but just yeah. let it come to you? Yeah, it, it's always a loose plan. I feel like people that uh, try to lock in too hard on, on specific things, um, it, it ends up becoming tough. And then, and so it's really a matter of how many teams in a competition are you drafting? So, you know, somebody, that is drafting just one NFBC online championship, they basically need to shoot for their, what they believe is their optimal. They need to set the KDS to, to what they want, mapping out how those first few rounds are. Are you, do you want to start with a DeGrom or Cole? Do you want to, you know, try to get an early pick and, and get that, you know, top notch uh, Tatis, um, you know, Soto Acuna type of guy. So there are so many different things, but for me, I'm usually doing five of these. I like to spread out where, uh, where I'm drafting from. And then by, you know, by kind of feeling the, the draft board and understanding where players are falling, I kind of get a feel of where it's not about where you're most comfortable from, but where you think the optimal place uh, to get a good start from, because right. after those first few rounds, you know, things open up, you can really grab, you know, similar players a little bit more later, but it's really about, establishing that base and we see a lot of people in the 12 teamers we're about to see a lot of screenshots and people are making sure they're getting those aces a lot of people are doing you know they're um they're emulating uh, uh toby uh, uh batflip crazy style because he's a uh, somebody that just shot out of the gate uh, not only is a good analyst but he popped in nfbc won the main event in his first year i was in that league i remember that 
and I've been paying attention to what he's doing. It's him and I maybe philosophically don't always have the same uh, principles. Like he's a big catchers early guy on the opposite of that. Right. But we a lot of times kind of gravitate towards the top and, and sort of get to the same place. But, you know, I think pitching is very important in the NFBC format because you don't want to get stuck streaming and, and chasing garbage pitchers. Uh, you know, it's like the, the, you know, like the Michael Waka example of all time. And, and yeah, sorry, yeah. you know, it's not a Met <laughs> anymore, but uh, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you, you don't want to go, you know, oh, this guy's a two-step and, and I got to pick him up. Let me get the strikeouts. But I think that's a mistake a lot of people make during the season, like way early on where they're, you know, like, oh, this guy's, a, let me just add all the two steps here, uh, you know, two start pitchers for the week. And that right. can really end up getting you in trouble. The way to avoid that is by establishing a strong base of pitching early. And that's different for everyone. Like if, if someone ha has difficulty finding or, or hitting on those later round pitchers, then yeah, you probably want to invest in good starting pitching early, kind of give yourself a good base. So you're not too worried about what may come later. And yeah, sure. You may hit on, on some guys later, you know, you 30th round pick David Peterson, who just, you know, becomes a stud and you're happy and that helps, but you also need the solid uh, early guys too. And that's different for everyone for, you know, it could be, you know, DeGrom Bauer at the, you know, turn, you know, for, for some, or uh, you know, Flaherty and then, you know, Sixto and Lance McCullers later. And it's just really different for everyone. But for me, um, I think, sorry, I kind of went off in, in many tangents. No, it's here. great. I love it. It's exactly yeah. what we need. Yeah. I mean, for me, it, it really depends where I'm at. So it, right. I like to drive at the end sometimes. And, and at the ends, uh, you know, usually at 11 or 12, where I'm getting two picks in the top 15, I want to definitely get out of there with a starting pitcher, maybe sometimes two. And it really depends. I'll always map out the next few rounds and see who I really, who I really like in those future rounds and what I feel comfortable with it, with a good basement. Do I have enough steals? If I don't have enough steals, where will I get those steals from later? Making sure it's not like, you know, the Malik Smith types of the world. Cause I don't want too many of those guys on my roster. So uh, long about answer is just basically like, you know, wherever you feel comfortable from, but it depends how many teams you're playing one, three or five or however many. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's I mean, I last year when I when I had my winning team, I drafted Bauer and Lane in the fifth and seventh round because I felt like confident in their in their ability to rack up innings with some K upside. And this year I don't see that in five like in those rounds. So I find myself gravitating more to yeah, making sure I come out of the at least the first three rounds with two of them. Um, and I've been on the back end um, at like 13, 14 in a 15 team league, and I've come out with Bauer and Geo, and I feel feel great about that like it, i don't know it's i feel like during the draft too i feel more comfortable too as i'm filling out my team as opposed to the teams i've gone the other way with but but like you said like um in in one team i didn't pick uh, a pitcher in the second round and you know like you said you you stack it up earlier you know and i had like a bundy and framber and gaussman so it's you know it's 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 all about trying to form an overall pitcher and mm -hmm. Yeah, you can get there in multiple ways. Some people just feel a lot better. They like sleep better at night going mm -hmm. certain ways. So, you know, there's so many ways to win in this game, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so much, it, it, and I think it is also important to 
if you are drafting multiple teams to be able to get out of your comfort zone, like don't always draft right. at the back end or, or only from the middle, like get comfortable taking players from different spots, because then when your main leagues come, you don't know what your KDS, you know, what your draft order is going to be at that time and where you'd be drafting from. So you kind of get to get a feel for um, kind of for every region. So you know what players you want, because in a 15 teamer, obviously somebody drafting one isn't going to see the same set of options in rounds five or six that they, that as a person drafting from the 15, you know? Right. Right. And I feel like that's what happened when I, I went to one, I did a draft where I drafted um, one overall and I had a couple of teams with the Grom and I hadn't had Cole yet. So I just wanted to spread it out. And mm-hmm. since I had the one, I'm like, I'm just going to take him here it's because I feel like what I got in trouble, like, trying to do is do do some drafts and be like i'll just get this guy here and i'll just then i'm like not getting the the start i want and i'm like well i still have to have a team with cole and i just end up drafting more teams but uh so i took cole Uh the one and then uncomfortably because okay um he just wasn't a guy i was thinking about early in the year where he started off in the middle of the second round with scherzer and but at 30 i was like wow for some reason this feels appealing to me like even if he's not, you know, if he doesn't make it through the whole year, but if he, if, if he doesn't fall apart yet, you know, I told myself, wow, like this could be, you know, he could still do a, a first round max. It's probably likely that he's not going to, but I think he still has a chance to have it in him. So again, it was like an uncomfortable pick, but I felt like, Hey, you know, it's good to make yourself uncomfortable sometimes, you know, cause you end up like going back and say, actually, you know what? That wasn't so bad. Yeah. And, and it's okay for us as analysts to change our mind on things too, as right. long as we're, right. you know, we're open about it, but like we can be drafting a whole bunch of teams in January. And then at some point in late in February, like just some epiphany occurs and you're like, wait a second, this actually feels right. Or there's some spring training news and you know, you, you, you know, you, and you walk into some, some things that uh, end up being, being gifts later on in the draft season. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, Another format for 12 teams is the 50 league, which is a a draft champion style, but with 12 teams instead of 15 teams. Um, Do you have any advice for anyone maybe just starting up an NFBC and trying to build up a little bankroll, like how to approach a league like this? Yeah. um, With that, you kind of need to come up with a plan beforehand because it's, it's tough to, to, um, to really go in with like a single bullet with like a single lottery ticket. So you need to make a plan like, okay, I'm joining NFBC. I'm going to invest uh, 300 bucks and I'm going to do six of these fifties. And that way you can kind of spread out when you draft just so that you, you don't put yourself in a tough position because what happens is say you want to do, you know, you decide you're going to do the fifties and then you're drafting at the end of January. And when you're, drafting in certain rounds, like say in the, in the mid teen rounds, you kind of always end up landing on the same players. But right. what if some of those players are guys that look like they're going to be the closers and then they're not, or somebody gets injured in spring training. And then you have a lot of shares of those people uh, on your team because you drafted in this one period of like two weeks where you had a single frame of mind. Right. So I think if you're doing like a plan like that, spread it out, have the, the discipline to say, okay, I'm doing six of these fifties. Let me, pick uh, draft spots in sort of my progression of where I'm going. Like as I'm doing my research, I'm learning things There could be new things I figure out or, you know, some change of opinion. And then next team might look a little bit different or, you know, because 
if you look at our teams, a lot of times they're getting like stronger as draft season goes on because we feel more confident and, you know, we're kind of going after our targets and that type of thing. So that's what I recommend kind of spreading it out and then also do the qualifiers. Like, you know, that, that's how I've seen some people get in uh, to the main event. You know, I've seen that pattern of, you know, somebody going in playing a cheap, uh, uh, not cheap, but you know, low priced uh, qualifier to get into a main event. And then they make some noise in the main event and all of a sudden they have bankroll and they're playing well there. Right. And, and the qualifier leagues are fab leagues, right? Yeah. As far as, yeah, they're different. They're they're different ones, but there's like, you know, one where you can get into the, I think like a 50 gets you into the, uh, the online championship, which is a 350 value. There's another one that gets you into the the main event, 1700 value. So on. Cool. Awesome. Good, good, good. Um, all right. So let's move it over to the 15 teamers. Um, the old main event, um, had my first experience with it last year. It taught me a ton. I always like to say that I learned more in that league than winning the draft champions because mm-hmm. uh, I really, you know, saw what I needed to do to get better or, you know, and try to, you know, be better next year. So um, talk a little bit about the main event. Um, I know a lot of people have, you know, different strategies going forward. Obviously um, last year I got caught, I think going with the, going with the pushing the closer up crowd and it kind of bit me a little bit. Um I don't know. What's your thoughts on closers in general? Um, like as soon as the drafts start to fire up, maybe if we still have some on like cloud of certainties around guys like Melanson, Kinsler, how do you like to approach something like that? So the good thing is by the time we get to that uh, point in the season, when main events are going to start popping off, which is a, uh, you know, a couple of weeks before a few weeks before the season, uh, a, a lot of things are more clear and we're, we're heavily into training camp at that point. A lot of roles are defined. So that's, you know, that's, that's a good thing. Uh, what that also does is less cloudiness means uh, players that a lot of times we like are getting pushed up in draft position. So the same values that we got in, you know, draft champions in January and then in online championships in February are now no longer deals in, in these 15 teamers. And to top it off, the people that are in these are uh, some of them have multiple entries and a lot of them are experienced at this and, and it's really good. You know, like when I go to Vegas every year uh, my league is, is, always just stacked loaded to the brim and when you first start doing that it, it it's a little um it's a little intimidating right uh, and, and i still remember my first main event i think it was like 2011 when i first came to vegas and uh yeah i wasn't cocky going into it but um i think i was uh, i was a little overwhelmed especially towards the end uh of the draft rounds 25 to 30 where i felt i thought going into it i was really confident and, and comfortable with the player pool there but then like I had realized I didn't really have enough of those sort of later round targets mm-hmm. because everybody who I liked were already gone by round 25. Right. So that's the one thing people need to know in main event, whatever you're thinking, someone else is probably thinking it too. And even more so now in, in the Twitter days and, and everybody being so sharp. So what that means is you got to set aside time to think about how to be different um, to right. get to the same place. Like I haven't thought this out yet, but if everybody is, uh, um, going for pocket aces. I mean, not everyone's going to get them. And obviously some of those guys get hurt, but like, you know, is there some way to win uh, where you're zagging when everyone else is zigging? Um, there's risk in that because you absolutely have to nail all the remaining starting pitchers. And it has to be that year where a bunch of early guys get hurt, kind of like, you know, like Verlander did last year. Um, you know, the DeGroms calls, all those guys go down and those middle guys bump up. You're on to something, right? Right. Um, so that's, you know, that's tough to do. 
Um, one example of that would be like football a few years ago. I remember it was right after the, the whole craze of, of zero uh, receiver or zero running back. Everyone's like, oh, running backs, running backs. You know, you, you got to take your wide receivers early. They're the, they're the more solid commodity. And that year, I remember I, I took running backs in the first three rounds because values kept falling. It was guys like David Johnson, Ezekiel Elliott, Melvin Gordon in his breakout year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they just fell to me. And that was because people overanalyzed the, you know, from the previous year. And I you know, almost won the overall football that year because of that. I was literally going against what everyone was doing. And I don't think, I don't know or think necessarily that fading early pitching is the way to go, but just thinking different. Like if everyone's going for the closers early or this or right. that, like how, how do we get to the same, to the top? You know, it's like a DFS contest. You're not, you know, if you're playing the same as everyone else, you're not going to, you know, get to the top unless you have some sort of differentiating factors. Right. Absolutely. And I think it's important to, like you said, to really know your plan. Like, I'd like to think of it like some people maybe do a forced zag per se, Mm -hmm. but not prepared for it enough. You know, like say, you know, um, well, you're going to go pocket aces and I'm just going to be the guy that goes against it, but I'm just going to study the first four rounds, how to do it. And then Mm -hmm. not, you know, like be prepared enough. So I feel like, cause it definitely is definitely can find ways like you're saying, it's just, you have to really know the whole path to, you know, cause have to know late around targets. It's it's not just a fact of going against uh, a grain in the first two or three rounds. You really have to be convicted in your thought that you, I can do this differently, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and, and like, I, you know, I myself am not usually a big fan of, uh, of extreme strategies. I don't go like, you know, uh, I like to, uh, I like to sort of balance draft. I like to make sure that I'm getting all the categories, especially in leagues that have an overall component, like the main event and an online championship. Uh, but the one just interesting thing that uh, talked about, I think it was uh, Todd Zola maybe years ago, where he something that made sense. It was like the the fact that when somebody goes heavy pitching early, like they'll take two pitchers in the first three rounds, a lot of times they'll automatically wait like ten rounds for their third pitcher. And right. in some respects, it kind of defeats the kind of whole purpose of what you're doing um, in a way where if you almost double down on that early pitching strategy, because you feel comfortable with the hitters later, you're creating a, uh, an advantage for you in that, in those categories, you know, right. I'm not saying take three pitchers to start, but like it, saying just because you go two pitchers in your first three, doesn't mean you have to wait till round 11 for your, your, your SP three, because right. what ends up happening is that there are going to be a lot of teams that, you know, maybe they took their pitcher in the fourth and fifth, their top two are just as strong as your top two because it's baseball. Anything can happen. It's fantasy. So if you're, you know, doing that strategy, maybe take it a step further, grab another, you know, really good pitcher and then really lock in some of those categories, some of those targets. Yeah. That's I did that in the battle of the podcast. I, um, in the fourth round, I took Lynn after I had the Bauer Giolito mm-hmm. and everybody on the zoom that night was like, are you going to leave any pitching for us? And I was like, well, I wanted to go back early, like you said. And, you know, I still even got, I think, back in in the 11th round. But still, I think with the Lynn, I just felt like, wow, you know, I have three guys to possibly be the top in innings pitched, you know, across a board in MLB. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, you know, it's um, it was something that just said, you know, what if he's there? I'm just going to do it. And uh, I, f- I felt good about it. But um, yeah, I think you got to go back to where you feel comfortable enough, I guess, how, 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 how good you did catching up and, 
and in the offensive categories, you know, allows you to say, you know what, I can go back in now, or you feel better, you know, like good at that spot. Um, well, I was going to say the other thing is it, it, it also, it creates a, a sense of urgency in other people. You can create right. runs that way. They're like, Oh my God. Oh no, man. I, uh, this tier of pitchers are, are, are going. And all of a sudden you're creating a run. Like we've seen, you know, with catcher runs with uh, stolen base runs, uh, relief pitcher runs. It happens all the time. So to be the one that create that, you, you know, you start it, you, you throw it <laughs> yeah. in and then you jump out right away. Yeah. You know, it's always I, fun. I did. I caused it because Simeone, the SP streamer, I think, um, it probably won't show up on the ADP, but he set them in for Valdez in like, you know, 52. And it mm-hmm. was, you know, everyone was like, what are you doing? And he's like, I need a pitcher, you know? Yeah. So yeah. he's like, he's like, it's all robbed off, but you know, it, yeah, <laughs> caused a little hysteria, you know? So sometimes you got to do that. You, yeah, yeah. you got to shake them over their head. Um, <laughs> so tell me about, so one thing I tried to do last year at the draft was I had two guys highlighted that I wanted to set the men's on. And I was in a position to like beat both of the men um, by like six or seven spots. And oh, man, I got sniped on them both. It was Castellanos and Lynn. And I just, uh, man, is there a point where you just say uh, I'm going up as far as I feel comfortable with, or like how much do you try to battle the ADP? It's, uh, it, it's difficult because you, you want to be able to get, uh, you, you need to be able to time it where if it, it depends, if you know, your opponents, I think if they, if you know who you're playing against, a lot of times we do in the NFBC that helps, or you see what maybe category, uh, I'm sorry. Um, you kind of are familiar with the roster construction and you might know what they're going after. Right. It, that's easier. Like if you're, you know, it's a lot of times why I like to pick 14 in a, in a 15 team or 11 out of a 12. I like having that advantage because you can almost sense where the person on the turn is going to go and you can play a little bit of draft chicken. You're like, I like both of these guys, but I'm going to take this other one first because I think I know a direction he's going and he's going to leave him back for me. So that's right. a kind of a tough uh, um, line to straddle. But the one thing that I do know is the best players in the world at fantasy baseball they get their guys whenever they want, especially in the main event. And uh, the, the guy who's, you know, the only guy who's won ever two main events, Lindy Hinkleman, he's the, he's the king of that. You know, he, uh, a lot of times, you know, people just like will stop in the middle of their draft and just to go see what he's doing. Like, you know, like a, like a celebrity, like, you know, taking George Springer in the first round when he was like a third round guy was just like, Oh my God, what's going on here. What's he seeing that we're not seeing, you know, like sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't, but you got to kind of trust that, that instinct of yours. Um, and, and it's tougher on, tw- you know, on Twitter and with our content, cause we, you know, we, we want to be transparent. We want to put things out there. And then of course, there's always people are like, Oh, oh he loves him. I kind of like him. Uh, I'm just going <laughs> to yeah. take him anyway. Screw him. <laughs> I, I guess that's the advantage that um, Lindy has with not being on Twitter. Like he doesn't, he's not going to get influenced by anybody. He's just going to have his, his, his convictions and his, you know, his, his evaluation, then that's it, mm-hmm. right? Yep, yep. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so talk to me about um, how much money you should hold out for Fab in like the last month of a main event. Like what What do you, are you the type to keep enough to drop the hammer or do you, you know, obviously it's team context too. If you need to more as the season goes along, to beef up a team, but what do you feel comfortable with in that last stretch? I like to have the advantage. I want to be one of the the, the top three people with money. Uh, usually, I guess, maybe 10, 
15, anywhere up to 20% of my budget remaining. Sometimes that's tougher, you know, easier said than done. But uh, for that last month, when, when rosters expand and you kind of really know what your targets are, uh, you know, I'm, I'm short in, in, in strikeouts or steals and you know what you're going after, you can really ensure uh, and drop the, you know, set hammers to get what you, what you really need. Uh, the good thing is in a lot of, you know, a lot of times, and even in competitive leagues, you'll always have people that have stopped fabbing or they've spent a whole bunch of their money or they're just out of it. So they're not competing. And, and most people in our, you know, in, in, in these leagues they're you know, you, you don't see somebody that's 14th place in the last week of August, you know, just throwing a bunch of money in it stuff. So there, at least there's some integrity in that regard. Uh, but I absolutely do. So I try to stay disciplined, patient over the year, try not to blow it on, you know, you know, three, $400 on, on a single player. Cause yeah. uh, I have a lot of times it ends up backfiring. Right. And it's like, you know, think back to Austin Riley a couple of years ago. I think that was a big one. Um, you right. know, it doesn't always work out like when Soto came up or when, um, you know, trout came up, even I remember the year trout came up, you know, he started off the year in the minors, people weren't expecting it. Somebody dropped him, And I remember this, this is crazy. Uh, I wouldn't, I didn't, I didn't pick him up because I didn't want to drop Trevor Bauer. And ironically, Trevor Bauer ended up being a waste that year. Uh, Just It was like his first, I think, full season. It was a waste of money. And I didn't use it. I bid on him, uh, on on Trout, but it wasn't enough. Um, The guy that got him from my league, Steve Japinka, ended up winning the main event overall that year. And Trout was the catalyst. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's all about... Like you said, it's not going to always be that home run, but when it is the home run, it's mm-hmm. it's big, big reward. It's a grand slam. It's a grand salami. So um, <laughs> let's go into draft champions now. Fifty round draft and hold fifteen teams. Um, how do you like to split up the hitters and the pitchers? Uh, draft and holds. Uh, I usually end up with about twenty-one to twenty-four pitchers. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's usually my split. I want to make sure. Uh, I always feel like when I'm looking at my teams midway through the year, and uh, you know, you lose a few guys to injury, and I feel like if you don't have multi-position eligible guys um, to, to kind of flex around, you you end up starting a lot of crap. You know, you're just putting right. guys that aren't even starting. So I think uh, you know it's important to have good heading hitting depth, making sure you have at least you know a few guys at each position. Like you, you know, you can get screwed with you know both you know, say you only have three for first baseman on your team uh, and two guys are, you know, one guy's hurt, one guy gets demoted. And then you're just, you know, starting like, you know, a, a part-timer for the rest of the year. And it really just puts you in a hole. So I try to have as much depth and coverage. Um, and I also like to uh, make sure I, I, I'm now more into like the boring bets than I used yes. to be, <laughs> Yeah. you know, like I'm fine with like a, you know, 45th round, you know, Jed Jerko. Uh, you know, the, these type of guys that at least I know I can play them on you know, specific platoon splits. I know when, you know, lefties are coming up, I'm going to, you know, three lefties in a, in a four game period, I'm going to play Jerko and I have some coverage there. So I'm fine with those older, boring guys, I think in DCs. Yeah. I, I had, um, Steve Weimer on my show and he said, um, boring is beautiful to him, you know? Yeah. And I thought that's so true because this, this comfort when, when, when people want to, um, try to reach for, a Kalenic and I get the appeal to it. He, he looks like he's very toolsy, but you know, when you're passing over maybe over 600 plate appearances somewhere else to draft this guy in a draft and hold, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's tough. I, I'd rather just, yeah, like keep, pick, keep picking those at bat monsters, you know, mm-hmm. all the way until, until they run out. Cause I feel like, I don't know, as I'm scanning over, I, I know like a lot of people say outfield is deep, but 
it feels to me that I don't know, like it's just more platooning in the outfield now. And I feel like I, I'm trouble finding like enough depth to to yeah. say these guys are gonna get this many at bats. And that's why I'm trying to do like at least like seven, eight of my outfielders um have, you know, like five hundred height appearances like mm-hmm. ejected because I just feel comfortable that way. There's a big dip and you know, guys just getting platooned way too much and I don't want to count on that. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree. And I mean, if you really think about it, when you have to fill out five outfield slots, and you know, you and I have been doing enough draft champions over the last month or so, a couple months, you know that that dries out pretty deeply. You know, like yeah. after round forty, there are like like no good outfielders that you want to take. You know, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, do you do you look for like um? a minimum at catcher or like a middle corner. And it's like, do you, how do, how much do you value like a multi-eligibility guy in this type of format? I, I value them a lot. Um, right. I'm more likely to go for those type of guys, you know, like I'll, I'll end up with, you know, Marvin Gonzalez, Marvin Gonzalez on my team because he's got four positions of eligibility. That's worth something, especially right. in middle of the summer when third of my roster is on the IL and I got somebody that can, can slide in. I mean, you can end up getting, you know, more at bats than, than, than we even, think right now um you know so i think those guys are are very valuable uh, uh catchers i i will usually have f- uh four and i'm fine with grabbing um you know i usually i don't I, at least this year um i'm fine with grabbing somebody like in round somewhere between 10 and 15 as like my first guy right. um you know i love will smith i think he's, he's gonna be a fan have a fantastic season I do worry that they're going to mix in, you know, Dave Roberts, there's going to mix in a lot of Austin Barnes. And if there is no DH there, it's going to hurt his plate appearances. Um, right. And no matter how good he is, I don't know if I can spend, I don't know if I can keep up with the Joneses and spend like, what is he going like 90th overall now to me, that's, you know, not necessarily worth it with a catcher. So I'm fine with those middle round guys. Um, grab my second one, like, you know, one of those like crappy Danny Jansen, Tom Murphy, yeah. you know, whoever that'll usually be my second. And I'll grab a couple more, you know, like a, Kevin Plowicki, Kurt Casale is like my last guy. Just somebody who I know is going to be at least a solid guy that will get some at bats. Um, uh, not any more than that. Uh, although I do have one draft champions team where I have six catchers because I um, uh, basically went on auto one night where I just forgot to set my auto and just got oh, all shit. the catchers drafted in. So I've got like <sighs> Jacob Nottingham was like my, you know, six catcher. <laughs> <laughs> what are you gonna do watch it come out to help you right <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah know. i think that um that's a good shop uh a good spot to shop for that first catcher uh that 10 to 15 range like you said it's just a good run of catchers the nolas the vasquez the Contreras. um i know a lot of people like far show too um yeah it's a good spot to you know and i've seen a lot of people double tap in that area mm-hmm. too um but um yeah catchers are they're always fun to investigate. Um, what have your teams looked like so far after the first five rounds? Have you uh, have like a consistent theme going on? Um, no, it's it's actually pretty uh, pretty mixed bag because I've been I, I've done six so far and I, I've sort of drafted from uh, from everywhere. And I got some teams where I look back, you know, the one that I did a month ago that I don't, you know, sometimes think back like, what was I thinking at this point? Oh my why God. did I, you know, why did right? I, you know, why did I take this guy? But. Uh, I think all my teams have usually um, two pitchers in the first five rounds, I think for the most part, just cause I, I don't know, just 
kind of, um, you know, just, just uh, what, what you're, what you're used to. And uh, especially here, you don't want to be left behind. Um, but I, do you have a cutoff. I'm sorry. Do you have a cutoff at, in, in that fifth round? Like let's say you have one pitcher. Um, is, is there a cutoff for you? Like, is there a guy where you say, all right, um, I'm not going back to pitcher here. Like, and I'll go the next round, like a sunny gray type. Is he a type of guy that you'll land that's, there? That's the group. It's like, yeah, uh, it, it's, you know, Plesak, Freed, Strasburg, Ryu, um, you know, Barry, like at that point, I think usually I'm, I'm, I'm hitting up the, the hitters around there. Right. Uh, like to me, no matter how awesome I think Max Fried is, um, I don't necessarily think he's worth 50, you know, three, four, four full rounds, you know, right. better than like, you know, Sixto Sanchez or, you know, those the guys in those, that range. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, I, th- I think that's the line. Absolutely. Because after that, uh, I'd rather wait a whole bunch of time than go, go to the Gaussman and Musgroves of the world. <laughs> By the way, dude, I don't know, man. There's some strong feeling. I feel like everyone kind of feels the same thing that like Musgrove is going to be really freaking good. I don't know. I don't know what it is, man. I just feel like it's just going to put it all together. He might surprise and be like one of the better pitchers. Like he's, he might out earn some uh, pitchers on his own team that are going uh, ahead of him. He might, he, he has the opportunity. I mean, uh, you know, he he pops up on the bloom boards all the day. You know, mm-hmm. Ryan Bloomfield bloom board is always popping out there. Last year, um, he was huge in that last week. He had two starts and he was just yeah. lights out for me. And I have like uh, a place in my heart for him. So I know that's probably a bias in, in drafting that way. But uh, I truly believe, it, you know, and I think a lot what a lot of people were talking about, too, with, you know, Chris Paddock, maybe being able to get better by, you know, by Darvish's presence and Snell, like maybe they mm-hmm. could c- c- learn collectively and Paddock gets better. Maybe it's the same thing for Musgrove too. Like um, he just takes it to an, another cool. level and for where he's going, right? You know, uh, I, I know he's climbing. I think he just hit 90, but. Uh, it's it's getting, re- that's the problem. There becomes a point where it's just kind of tough. And at that point you're thinking like, okay, so I think that, I think Kylie of, you know, that Musgrove could break out. I see everyone else is thinking the same thing. So then I started digging into Paddock a little bit more who everybody's completely off of, but was like, you know, 40, 50th round, you know, 50, 40, 50th overall last year with amazing stuff. Like all of a sudden now we've changed our opinion. Now Paddock is just like an afterthought. Like, you know, I, I think the bottom line is just this, that the pitching in that NL West is just between those two teams is, is just insane. You, you need to leave your draft with a piece of that somehow. It's it's amazing how much changed in only sixty games, right? So many opinions just went bye bye mm-hmm. already. Um, it's it's so interesting how the brain works sometimes. <laughs> Something yeah. I felt so good about in June now it's totally you know I'm totally um, changing it up. Um, what do you do? You have a, um, when you set your KDS, do you pick like all the fifteen in a row? Like I mean, no. all fifteen. Yeah, that's. Row. That's the Matt Modica special, the straight, <laughs> the mo- straight, straight butter. That's what he calls it. Straight <laughs> That's butter. What he it? Straight yeah, butter. yeah. That's, That's awesome. what it's called. He named it. Uh, yeah. Um, I know because I don't, I, I don't necessarily love the one pick. I think most years, there's always, always some reason I convince myself that I just don't want that that number one overall pick. Right. Um, and uh, and yeah, no, I, I mix it up. I, I think sometimes I, I'll start off with. Um, you know, if you, usually if you pick almost anything else, you, you know, if you pick like, you know, 13, 
as your first one and you kind of map it out from there, um, you probably get your 13 and you get your plan. You know, uh, right. most people aren't changing their, their KDS, you know, all that much or too much, or yeah. they're afraid to kind of move off the one. So everyone's in competition for that one, you know, uh, I was always wondering, like, do I, should I like place every 15 I want or do I stop after like, all right, after my first six choices, like, does it matter? Or do you go yeah. like, do you go all the way down to that last 15? I do. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I, I do because exactly. I just, in my head, it just, feels right. Like I, it feels you know, so for example, yeah. like I hate this, you know, like say, for example, this year, I hate it. Let's say, I, let's say I hate the six pick. I'm just going to have the six pick at the end there. You know what I mean? Right. Just right. You know, in case I do get my last choice. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So I feel like um, a lot of people probably don't, like you said, to just leave it. Right. And just mm -hmm. go right into that. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So it's that track and during the draft, is that something that you do or advise? Um, I know you use Roto Lab, right? You're mm -hmm. big, a big Roto. Yeah. I, I love that software. It's really good. I love, yeah, I love Roto Lab. Um, it's, it, it's when I start to feel really comfortable and I'm not kind of like, you know, drafting like a chicken with my head cut off. Cause I do all my right. own projections. They take a long time. And, uh, and, and they're more like predictions and projections to be honest. And that's what I build my, uh, you know, uh, on the site, the, the, the MLB draft book, uh, my, yep. my, my VDP, my Vlad's draft position is, is almost based on, on that. And that's why I'm not afraid you'll, you'll see some risks there or not risks, but just big differentiation from people on the actual ADP. Like I'll have someone 30 spots higher or 30 spots lower. Cause that's just like, you know, what my projection spits out on uh, spits out to, but using draft software during a draft is only works if you practice it because mm. you, get really thrown off keeping up with everyone's picks so right. you know a lot of us have been used to the way a lot of us have drafted over the years is you can just kind of you know like with paper and pen you sort of map out okay you know ballpark 30 homers 20 steals and then as you're writing it down you kind of know okay I'm, I'm short in steals or i'm short in homers or whatever um in the draft software you can be more precise with it and it's helpful uh, but it can also be, it can also throw you off by, right. you know, you're, 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 oh crap. I, I didn't put the right guy in there. Now I'm back six picks. And instead of thinking about my next pick, I'm worried about putting in, you know, just, just catching up on the draft board. So that can screw you yeah. up. You gotta be really fast and good with it. hundred percent. That's, I think that's the biggest pro tip in the world because yeah, your brain, I mean, my, my brain, I happened in the main event. I was doing it live, you know, online and, um, fucked up on one pick, and I was like, "Man, this is terrible." You know, mm -hmm. it's a bad feeling. Oh yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a horrible feeling. Yeah, it's a horrible feeling. I felt pretty good. I mean, I've been using Roto Lab for you know like four years now, so I, I, I felt good with it. But I just had a uh, spazzy fingers for a little bit. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about uh, a league with no overall and like a high money league with no overall. And um, I know a lot of people talk about like uh, a lot of people walk in with like a, a, a very, you know, way out of the league strategy. Um, is that something that you advise or do you try to stick to, you know, the whole balance approach still in a league like that? I think in those type of leagues, you can get away with it more. Uh, so it, but it needs to, it, the, the plan really needs to pay off. It, it really, really needs to work. And there's certain advantages you can take. Um, Rob Silver and I, we, we did the platinum two years in a row, 2018 and 2019. And, you know, we, we, we considered some, some different type of strategies. He's, you know, you know, one of the sharpest, uh, people in, in the industry that I know and, and drafting him was fantastic. 
uh, we, we came in second that first year in the platinum. And, you know, we had a little bit of a, of an offbeat strategy with, uh, with pitchers and, and really concentrating on ratios um, and then doing a little bit more streaming. So you can pull things off in standalones, but it, everything else needs to be perfect. Like if you're right. planning to punt a certain category, you really need to nail it um, absolutely everywhere else. So I think it's a, it's a little tougher, but I've seen people pull it off. I've seen, you know, Rob did it in the, uh, I think it was like the, um, the super or something like that, like, you know, $5,000 entry league. He had some extreme strategy. It, it, it just, you know, it, it hit and it worked, but um, you know, it, it, it takes like, you know, people like, like, uh, like, you know, Steve, who you were mentioning, Steve Weimer and, yeah. uh, and Phil Dussault, the robot, like, you know, these type of like, you know, super analytical, like, you know, uh, yeah. crazy savant people, uh, Jeff Zimmerman, you know, those type of guys to pull off uh, shit like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was wondering like how many, you know, the different ways that people might approach something like that. Cause I was, I, I don't plan to do any like, uh, you know, high money, non-overall types, but I was thinking in my head, like, you know, when you're talking about the zagging, you know, with pitching, right. You know, is, is there a way to put together a staff later on with just like really good ratios, you know, like maybe mm-hmm. you won't come as high as strikeout in, but yeah. you know, get, or just draft the whole Dodger staff, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, we knew who's, oh you know, who's going to be you, in it. I, you look at the, the numbers of the staff and you plug it into a Roto team. I mean, that's something Rob, Rob and I talked about that year. They're like, what, you know, actually it was Rob's idea is like, it was three years ago. I was like, what if we only draft, Dodger pitchers, you know, just like, and that year I remember it was like Ryu was a, uh, you know, like a 14th, 15th round pick. And it was like, just, if he just stays healthy, you know, he's going to really help you. The ratios. I had like a two thirteen ERA that year. He was an absolute slam dunk. One of the best pitchers in the draft, but like, you know, something I posted the other day on Twitter, uh, you know, the Dodgers ERA, just the starters alone uh, since 2015 is, is three thirty five. It's 50 points lower than the next best NL team, which is the Cardinals at three, like 375 or, or you know, 40 points lower. Like there's a significant wow. difference. It's, you know, it's the ballpark, it's the, you know, pitching staff, uh, you know, the team, they're just, just a lot of magic there. So, you know, yeah. as long as you know where, who you're going to get it from and not getting pulled by Dave Roberts, like, oh, oh, now, you know, Dustin May sent to triple A. Oh, now Gonsolin's in for a start. Oh, now it's your keeping up with that could be a headache. But for the most part, you're, you know, you're pitching in a Dodger stadium, like against the Pirates or the Rockies, usually you're going to pay dividends on those, get paid dividends. Absolutely. How do you feel about Trevor Bauer? Uh, uh, mixed, mixed, I guess. Um, okay. I mean, it, it's, I don't care about the money part. It's not, you know, it's not my money. Dodgers can spend it however <laughs> they want. We now have an even bigger target on our heads because a lot of people just, you know, don't like LA. They don't like, you know, Dodgers as is. Um, and then on top of that, now we signed, you know, really kind of, you know, controversial guy in the media. Um, yeah. for me, I was just like, just sign already, just sign somewhere just cause I, you know, I'm tired of seeing it everywhere. I just, you know, just wanted to see him somewhere. Like, how, how do I put this? Like, I'll take him. He's freaking great. You know, he's, right. he's a fantastic pitcher. Um, I feel like maybe he's got some, like, I do believe of like in crazy things like, um, you know, like bad juju, you know? And so, mm-hmm. and I don't know, I don't know if, you know, I don't know if he's going to be. I don't think it's going to be in between with Bauer. I think he's either going to like pull his arm out and just be like done for the year and just be like, you know, big laughing stock and, uh, or just have a really bad season or have an amazing season. I don't think there's going to be like any in between. So. Uh, oh, gotcha. So, gotcha. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, cause, and then like, how did that even get judged? Right. Let's say he is in between and you win a world series again. Like, you know, how do you, 
is that is that validate yeah. how much money he gets you know like yeah and i don't even th- yeah and i don't think of it really in terms of the contracts i mean right. obviously it's a, i mean we're already an amazing staff and right and we got even deeper i mean like you know it was a you know Derek cardi was posting the other i think just earlier uh today when we recorded on friday uh, about how like even their seventh best starter is better than like a third of the team you know third of the nl's uh best starters you know or something amazing. like that like it's it's really it's, crazy so. it, that that really is wild i mean it's it's crazy to look at that list of pitches they they're stacked they're stacked um did you do you think this put them out of turner is turner coming back i don't know i mean hey i mean might as well give rios rios a shot right? yeah i mean so uh, yeah i'm mixed on turner he's like one of my favorite players ever and uh, I don't know about ever, but, you know, just like over the last, like, you know, five years, I feel like it was a really big part of that team. But I think, I think just let him go at this point because he's, he's old, you know, he's just, he's always injury prone. He's older, doesn't have the power as much. He's a fantastic hitter, you know, especially yeah, he still, lefties. He still stings the ball. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I say. Let Rios go. Yeah. Let Rios, so let's trade for Chris Bryant. Ooh. I mean, we need somebody in the hot corner. Like, let's reinvigorate that guy's career. I don't think he's quite done. No, I think that change of scenery would do him so well. He's got some. They have. He's had so many issues with that organization. I think that would do him so much. And you know, I that's like a cliche thing, the change of scenery thing. But I think that for him, it really applies. Yep. Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, have you gotten into best ball? What do you think about the best ball? Blow I haven't. Right now? I haven't really, I haven't done too many. Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah that, because there's so much other things going on with, with, you know, putting content together and, right. uh, you know, podcasting and yeah, just not a lot of best balls for me right now. Outside of that, I probably will do some cut lines. I'll, I'll do some of the 10 team cut lines. Cool. Um, speaking of cut lines, what's your thoughts on drafting closers and cut line? Uh, I'll, I'll snag them because they snag them. Right? Yeah. They get you points and nobody wants them. And so they're, you know, uh, I may not necessarily go and grab a, a, an early one, but they're always going two rounds, two, three rounds past their ADP. And I'll just like rack them up at the end. Like all these guys that I just know I can pop in there and maybe they'll luck get lucky with a string of, you know, a bunch of saves in the week and, and rack up strikeouts. Like right. they're valuable. I definitely don't, uh, don't fade them. Especially if, if everyone forgets about the unsigned ones and you could just mm-hmm. drop them at the first, uh, first fab period. Um, will you be checking out the, that solo shot that the, that the NFC has? I, it's, um, it, it's kind of hybrid main event draft champions, right? I think it's 38 guys somewhere in the middle or 40. I, I like the idea of it. I did it in football uh, and they were going to do it last year in baseball until uh, you know, the, the, the full season fell apart. Uh, I'm definitely intrigued. I think I might end up doing it just because I love a competition where I can compete with, you know, against everyone with just one entry and just kind of have my optimal strategy and go for it. Um, You know, like uh, I'm, I'm humble, but I also want to be the best, you know, I want to beat everybody. And so I think that's a good competition to, uh, to, you know, a, a good platform for that. Right. Yeah. And I think it's just another opportunity to, you know, um, you know, uh, try, to conquer uh, another format the one the one month of per fab is kind of interesting i was like trying to think in my head like how i would pursue something like that you know uh, that like you said the looking ahead part's got to be mm-hmm. pushed to another level and it's it's funny i've heard people say you know oh but it's easier now you're off the fab every weekend but i feel like i would be 
like my brain would take me to doing so much more for that month, yeah. you know, like, and it would equal doing the daily, uh, the weekly one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's almost like looking back to previous seasons and maybe seeing trends where I don't even know if that's is the right thing. I'm just kind of brainstorming, like when uh, optimal pickups are, are more likely. I mean, obviously the earlier in the season, the more you, you get out of them, but uh, uh, you can just see a lot of people spending a lot of that money early, like in the first uh, period and just saying, you know, screw it. I want to think about it later, but I think part of it might be looking at trends and past seasons of fab and seeing like, you know, is there something that sticks out like some data points where, you know, you know, June is, is the best time where a lot of guys like get called up or, you know, or, or closers lose their jobs or just something that's tangible that might be helpful. Right. Right. Yeah. Very true. Um, definitely can look back on any type of data you can get your hand on and that's probably be the best route to establish any type of, you know, any, cause I don't know, it's pretty interesting. The whole, the whole format of it. Um, God damn it. I wish it wasn't there. It's good. Now, now I'm just gonna have to try it. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about some draft and hold guys that, um, are going past 480p or the VDP right now. And tell me about some guys maybe that you, you can bring a ton of profit potential to your team this year. Uh, man, so after 400, I mean, obviously, you know, guys were kind of really close to that. There, there, there's some guys that I was that I was looking at. I was wondering, like, you know, these guys were going in the top 100 just a couple of years ago. Guys like, I mean, Gregory Polanco, Kevin Newman, nobody wants to draft pirates, but uh, if those guys are going to play and they're available, like at, you know, 450 overall, they're worth a stab maybe right with your 30th round pick. That's a um, great point. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, even Frazier with the double eligibility, right? He, yeah. He's going like 400 something. Right. Right. hundred percent. Yep. I like all those choices. Yep. Uh, I was thinking, um, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm always going for that, that Tyler O'Neill, man. I, there's certain guys yeah. I just can't quit. And so, I don't right. know. Maybe he gets a, you know, finally gets it together, and and uh, you know he's he's fast. He he's got power, and maybe puts it all together for a year. It's worth a stab. That and late. he's good defensively too. So you know they're gonna probably want him out there. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I t- yeah, love that pick. Uh, and, and going around 680p, uh, Edwin Encarnacion is not Ooh. dead, my friends. Woo-hoo. He was recently quoted. He wants to hit, you know, come into, you know, play for a team where he can DH and hit a bunch more home runs. I think he's, you know, very capable of hitting another 25, maybe more in a season. And that can be helpful. You're not getting, you're not finding a lot of pop in the 40th round of drafts. And by this point, a lot of people kind of already have a utility, but in a draft and hold, you could take a second utility like an Encarnacion and, you know, at that point, just, you know, why the heck not? There might be some points where it might end up working out. I love that because you're talking like, even, even if you don't think he's returning to, you know, 30, 35, right. Mm-hmm. At 680p, if he gives you 20 homers, like if you guess it to that, it's, it's a great pick. Yeah. And it's like, you, you probably not going to be using him much but then like you know he could be hitting fourth or fifth in some lineup i mean i don't know where he's going to sign but uh uh i mean i'll play every day but like you won't even really need him because he's your 40th round pick but right. when you are in a pickle later on down the line and your roster's short and you're like oh i got a number five hitter sitting here on my bench i'm just gonna you know plug him in and oh he's going to course cool let's do it right uh, of course that could be a course move uh-huh. <laughs> just get that dh in there we're good yeah absolutely um Let's see. So, yeah. So you hit on, 
some pictures. I, I know, mean, I know you're DJ Stewart, right? You're a DJ Stewart fan. You got me turned on I, to him last year. Well, at least you made me dive into him more. I'm like, why? You know, hmm, this is an interesting guy I've lived into. Like, what, what am I not seeing here? And I remember when I dove in, I'm like, ah, oh, okay. I see, I see the possibilities. He he made us look good for a, a stretch there. Good. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he just came up and just like, I mean, if you're playing DFS at that point, you're just like, you're popping in a super low, uh, a low dollar. DJ Stewart and he's just hitting home runs every day. Like he's, you know, Trout. It was amazing. Um, but he's, you know, he's not a very disciplined hitter, but he was a big pedigree, like, you know, big prospect back in the day, you know, six, seven years ago, more so than some of these other guys, uh, Austin Hayes. And, um, you know, he was supposed to be better, supposed to be big, you know, better than them. Um, I don't, I, I still kind of see him in a, in a platoon scenario, but, but, Think about this: you 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 pick up DJ Stewart and Cedric Mullins after pick you know four hundred, and when the schedule is coming up, you just kind of know like you, you just know when you would play one over the other. I assume that would probably be an mm-hmm. ideal platoon the way that it, it lines up there for for the Orioles. Um, but yeah, you know um, uh, Stewart against righties, Mullins against lefties, and then you just make sure you don't play them um, you know the opposite way. Right, right, hundred percent. That's a good point. That's a good point. I kind of like sneaky right now because he's unsigned but michael franco i know he's nothing special but at 427 oh, yeah. his, his history just shows you know mass volume so um uh, again not 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 spectacular but you know bo- boring pick but um i don't know i was trying to scan the roster to see maybe where you can plug in and be full-time third baseman but you never know. So many things can change between now and spring training. And I feel like if all he needs is the opportunity and he's going to play, I think he'll play wherever he goes. Yeah, and if you think about it, uh, these guys, Encarnacion, as soon as he signs, as soon as Franco signs, these guys are going to go up a hundred picks in ADP right, you know, right away. So it's okay to be taking stabs at these guys now. I mean, there's, I mean, Franco was going to hit in probably a decent lineup spot somewhere on, on some team. Uh, obviously he's going to, Hey, I never know. That'd be nice. <laughs> Everything I'm like, maybe Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> Another guy I like because the multi edge ability and he showed some some pretty cool pop. And actually the Rays batted him usually always fourth or fifth, and that's Mike Brasso. Um yeah. you know, he's got the three three positions um in the four hundreds and uh like I said, when they when he was in, he was hitting in the middle of the lineup. So yeah, um I'll take that shot. Yeah. And uh, he, you know, people that play DFS, I mean, people just knew like when it's uh, when, uh, when there's a lefty on the mound, you, you just, you just get my bike Brasso in there. I mean, so yeah, yeah, the guy, the guy mashes. So only thing is I was seeing, um, I'm guessing he should be fine, but uh, towards the end of the year uh, in the world series, having like some oblique issues and that's kind of an injury I hate, but I think it's been enough time since then that he should be fine. Very good point. Very good point. What about pitches? You got any pitches that you like? Uh, yeah, man, I was, uh, I, I, the one guy I have more shares of than, than anywhere else it, it, or than anyone else in these rounds is, uh, is Jaime Barria, uh, hmm. Maria on the angels. Um, nice. kind of sucks. They're going to be going six man probably. And you're not going to get a lot of two star weeks out of him, but, uh, just, you know, nice solid guy helped us a little bit, uh, last year. Um, so guys like him, um, Josh Fleming on, on Tampa Bay, I think is underrated. Right. I think he's got some pretty good solid control. Uh, Rich Hill's going to sign somewhere. He's going like, you know, 500. Um, I mean, it's worth taking a stab, I think. Uh, and then I have some Fulty. I've got a bunch of round like 48 really? Fulty nice. because I, uh, Mike Fultinowitz, I just have this feeling like, you know, just was left for dead by the Braves. 
but I think there were, you know, obviously some mechanical issues and some mental issues, um, uh, uh, mental just in terms of like his, his concentration and just something, some yip that affected his velocity um, so significantly. And there are teams looking at him. So that's a good sign. It does sound, sound like he may end up signing somewhere and around 45, around 48 stab, I think isn't a bad deal. Nice. I like it. Yeah. I mean, it couldn't just disappear like so, you know, so quickly, right? I mean, yeah, uh, that's a good point. Any any little thing can really alter how how you're performing out there. Um, I've been big on the uh, on the uh, Taylor Rogers, uh, Trevor Rogers train on on the Marlins. Just give me one relief pitcher. Uh, man, um, somebody actually was thinking about before the Soria signing, now that the Arizona sounds Soria, I, this is just a good mental exercise for myself. Like I was thinking about how I like Stefan Crichton. I convinced myself that Arizona Diamondbacks, Stefan Crichton is going to be the closer because he was a closer towards the end of the year. He looked good. Um, but I'm like, okay, he's going like pick 190, kind of high. We're not hundred percent sure he's going to get the job. And then we hear it's going to be an open competition. And then I thought about how Kevin Ginkle was supposed to be kind of like the guy of the future uh, for them, but he was so bad. He had like a nine ERA and like whatever, 15 innings or something small like that. Um, and it really kind of made, you know, got me thinking, um, you know, uh, I think I, I had a conversation with, um, with, um, Mr. Mr. Everywhere on Twitter, less than Dave, uh, we were talking about this Arizona bullpen and it's good, you know, when you have different perspectives from people, it really, you know, really gets you thinking. Um, and so he, you know, he brought up some good points about it and, and it's always good to kind of question your, your conventional thinking. Cause we can get in traps. We're like, okay, I'm really confident that, you know, this guy's right. really going to for sure win the, the closer role, this guy's. And then when it doesn't happen, you're like, damn, I really didn't, 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 uh, didn't do anything to, to, to get out of my singular line of thinking. I didn't really think outside the box on the, like anything could happen. And I'm not the manager. I'm not making these decisions. I just had like a gun instinct. I'm going for it. So it's like right. good to challenge your gut instincts. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's a good shot because I was taking a, a stab at Ginkle too. And even with the Soria signing, could, um, it doesn't look great underneath the hood. He, he's not, yeah. He, yeah, I think his strikeout stuff is eroding pretty quickly. Soria's, and I think that's a good stab right there. So cool. Yeah. All right, Vlad, thank you for your targets. It was really cool talking to you. I really appreciate you taking the time out. Um, again, you showed me a bunch of support along the way and you've helped me out it was just great to just reach out to people and you were always so accessible and um so kind with the responses so i appreciate that man yeah thank you so much uh it, it, this is really fun um you know i, I uh, for for people that haven't uh, or that aren't uh fantasy guru subscribers uh actually did a a draft champions draft champions three-part series and one of those pieces was actually about rob's winning team that uh, that, that won the overall so um, yep. I think that was a uh, pretty cool. Check it out. Definitely so, thank, great, great series, man. Thank you for having me, man. Really appreciate okay. it. And, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll do it again soon. Yeah, let's do that. hundred percent. All right, Vlad, have a good night. All right. You too. Thanks. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in once again. Much appreciated. Love the support of the show. Love the, anyone who reaches out to me on DM to talk strategy or just to say, Hey, this has been helpful. It means so much to me. I can't even express it. Um, so, yes. Keep doing that, please. It, 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 it lifts me up and it motivates me and it drives me to do better, to do more. So, uh, once again, if you feel so inclined to leave a rating on Apple Review, that would be great. 
send a screenshot over to at dead hitter. I'll send you some hitter swag. Go check Vlad's stuff out on the Fantasy Guru on EliteFantasy.com. Awesome stuff there. He provides great content with some also great writers too. Don't forget to check out SPStreamer.com. Head over there for some great content. We've got great new writers as well as an awesome draft guide that's about to pop. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Be good. Smarten up. And don't be a bag of shit. Peace.